Uh, well, good morning again, and welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. My name is Dustin, and I get to be the pastor here. Uh, if you're just joining us, today is a very special day in the life of the church. Uh, for thousands of years, believers have observed this day, the week after Pentecost, uh, to commemorate and to remember the beautiful doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, you know, this isn't something commanded in Scripture to celebrate Trinity Sunday, but we find it a wonderful, wonderful habit uh, to take part of, to remember the Trinity this day each year. And so today we're going to be looking at the work of the triune God, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty profound what it has to say to us. But before we dive into the sermon, I know people have a couple of questions about, you know, what's going on and uh, when our reopening plans are. And uh, so uh, with that, I just want to tackle the reopening question. So as many of you know, uh, the governor uh, has allowed phase two to begin as of this past weekend. And uh, just so y'all are aware, we have several uh, ER doctors and critical care doctors in our congregation who I have been staying in uh, many conversations with. And, uh, you know, we, I, I, I'm hearing a lot of advice from different people. And uh, the basic answer to when are we going to reopen, uh, the elders and I, we are working on and hoping for and planning on June 21st. Uh, so that's two weeks from today. So Lord willing, two weeks from today, we'll have church again here on campus. Now, of course, uh, there's a lot of questions, uh, just so y'all know, about like the safety of singing, the congregation singing indoors, and, you know, masks and all these, you know, issues. Uh, please know that this is like a, a Chinese finger trap, right? It, it's like, you know, as soon as you think you have an answer, you know, you end up being stuck. But uh, basically what I can tell you is that we are thinking and praying towards something like this, uh, potentially uh, an outdoor service at 8.30 in the morning, and then potentially an indoor service that's maybe more uh, concerned about safety and involving masks either at 10.30 or 10.45. Uh, I wish I could give you a definite answer right now. Uh, I can't because the elders are meeting this Tuesday to firm up these plans about service times and indoor and outdoor and live streaming. Uh, but just know that the live stream is going to continue for the foreseeable future. And hopefully in two weeks we're going to be right back here uh, this is a wonderful time, if you haven't already, to sign up for our weekly email blast because we will be able to tell you what the official plan is on Wednesday as soon as the Tuesday night elders meeting is over. Uh, so if you don't already get our weekly email blast, go online to our website, jvillepres.org, and just scroll down to the bottom and sign up for the email blast, and you can be as informed as anybody. How exciting would that be? Now, the other thing is, uh, I do feel the need to um, address in some ways what's been going on in the country over the last few weeks, and um, I can't address every single issue in society. Um, it would be exhausting for you and for me, but uh, I do feel like this is an important time in the life of our church, and, uh, so, and I know that some people are ready for that conversation, and maybe some people aren't, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be uh, inviting anybody who would like to join me in reading the book, uh, Let Justice Roll Down by John Perkins. Uh, now, John Perkins, uh, you may know, is a famous civil rights activist and pastor in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, he is still alive. He's 90 years old. Uh, he has 16 honorary doctorates. He was on the board of directors for World Vision and Prison Fellowship. Uh, he has advised something like five presidents. And, uh, you know, you may know him from Seattle Pacific University. They have the John Perkins Center for Reconciliation, Leadership, and Community Development. Uh, what you may not know, if you don't know the story of John Perkins, 
is uh, his older brother was shot by a local uh, police officer when he was a teenager, and he watched his brother die when he was a teenager. And later on in his life, he was beaten by a sheriff and tortured. Uh, but the powerful thing, of course, of John Perkins' life is he came to Jesus Christ, and he talks about the power of forgiveness and the power of the gospel to love his enemies. Uh, so all that to say, uh, I would love for you to read with me, Let Justice Roll Down, and see how the power of forgiveness and the power of the gospel uh, can speak into what we're facing right now. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to do a Zoom study. So if you want to be a part of that, read the book. Uh, you know, tomorrow is a day of lament and prayer for what's going on in our country. Uh, you could do a lot worse than going online and buying that book on Kindle and starting to read it tomorrow on your Kindle or maybe online. Uh, we'll, we'll meet on Zoom on sometime, probably Friday mornings. Uh, but again, if you want the details on that, sign up for the email blast, and we'll read that book together uh, for those of you who want. Um, and just so you know, as your pastor, I am advising you to read that book. <laughs> I am suggesting it, but I'm also exhorting you to read that book because I think it's uh, more important than ever that, that we hear from Christians who love Jesus and know the power of the gospel and that can speak into this moment that we're facing. Uh, so with that, uh, today we're looking at the work of the triune God. And I know that's kind of a funny phrase. You may have never said the word triune, but really it's just a way of talking about the three in one. Tri, three, uno, right? Uno, you've played uno, right? It's one. So it's the God who is three in one. And uh, the, what, what does that mean? What does the Trinity do? Uh, why do we need to think about the Trinity uh, well, uh, friends, I think actually knowing the Trinity is utterly profound in knowing God himself. Uh, in fact, John Calvin said it this way, if we think about God, but we don't think about the Trinity, uh, Calvin writes that only the bare and empty name of God flits about in our brains to the exclusion of the true God. So if you want to actually know God, you've got to grasp as best you can and to be contemplating the Trinity. That is, that God is one God. There's only one God. You know, Genesis 6, 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God, and yet he is expressed in three persons. And I know that's really, really complicated, right? Because uh, we don't have any other parallel to that in this world, and most of the parallels we make end up being heresy on some level. Uh, but I think the easiest way to understand it is uh, to grasp that you and I, uh, we, we only know sort of one being per person, right? So like, um, I am a human being, but my person is Dustin, right? And you are a human being, but your person is, you know, Sally or Bob or Jim or little Oliver, right? Uh, but of course, God is one God, and yet somehow, miraculously, without any confusion, and for all of eternity, past and future, there's one being, God, and yet he expresses himself and lives as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as, as complicated as that is, um, I would encourage you to consider this. Uh, so um, if you want to think about what is God at his core... Uh, many of us will, uh, we have these reductionistic ideas of what it means to believe in God. We think of God, well, at his core, God is creator, right? That's what God is. He's the creator. But of course, the problem with that is that we know there was a time before creation, right? In the beginning, God created. So what was God before creation? And if God at his core 
has to be creator, then he's actually kind of a weak God because God, to be who he is, has to have creation. And in fact, this seeps into our thinking because when we conceptualize God, we think of him as sort of a lonely God who didn't have community and was so lonely that he created community and all of creation out of a, a lack in his existence. When in reality, what Jesus says in John chapter 17 is Jesus says, Father, you loved me before creation. Before creation, God the Father was eternally loving the Son. And the Son was eternally loving and honoring his Father. And the Holy Spirit was enjoying the love of the Father and the Son. So God at his core isn't creation because God needs nothing. And God didn't create this world out of a lack. He created it out of an overflow of who he is. Out of the love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, creation springs forth because our God is a loving, gracious, eternally loving, eternally in communion God. You see, this is why Jesus can say things like the love of the Father. This is why he can talk about how the Father before creation loved him. And when you are born again, when you believe in Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, you and I, in some miraculous way, we are brought into the life of God. Uh, Peter says in 2 Peter that you and I become partakers of the divine nature. And so, friends, uh, the work of the Trinity is such that it creates this beautiful world. And even in the face of our sin and hatred and racism and injustice, the Lord God himself, the triune God, is breaking down the walls of hostility between all people groups and nations and tribes and languages because he's the father of us all. And through Jesus Christ the Son, he is bringing those of us who believe in him through the Holy Spirit into a relationship with the Father. You see, this is what Ephesians chapter 2 is all about. And if you miss the work of the triune God, you miss the power of what Paul is talking about. And if you have a reductionistic view of God, you'll miss the power of God. Uh, you'll miss the mark. Uh, you'll try to land your blows and they won't hit. And so if we want to have hope for this world, we've got to see the hope in the triune God. And if you think I'm pulling the Trinity, sort of this weird doctrine, and trying to apply it to hostility between people groups, and that's an inappropriate application of the Trinity, well, uh, the book of Ephesians stands in direct opposition to you. <laughs> in fact, Ephesians is all about this. And if you think the world is divided now, we'll just get ready. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to grab it. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll get back into John next week. Not that I don't love John, but today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to see the work of the triune God, the work of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see how it, he convicts our world of our sin, but has rich mercy. All right, so we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2. I hope you have a copy of God's word in front of you. 
Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter because we need to. The Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, that's the gospel message. And let's see how Paul continues to apply the power of the gospel. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Friends, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you give me the words to say, words of life, 
words of the power of the gospel. Father, would you lift up our drooping knees and our sagging heads? Would we see the beauty of the gospel at work? Would we see the beauty of the Trinity? Would we see that your love overflows into creation and into reconciliation? That in Christ, there are no longer many peoples. There is one new man being formed by faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that even this morning, those who are far off, who do not know your promises, who are destined for wrath, who are on a course set for hell, Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, draw them into faith in Jesus Christ, bring them into your family. Lord, would they be built up into the temple of the living God, into your church. Holy Spirit, even now, would you be at work in us and in our church and in our valley. Holy Spirit, may we hear from you. Amen. Well, let's dive right into Ephesians. And what I want us to do is we're going to just take it section by section as best we can. And I want you to understand exactly what the gospel is all about. So let's start right there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 again. Paul says that you and I, we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Uh, Now, if you know the book of Ephesians, you may know that Paul used to be the pastor here in Ephesus. The book of Acts tells us that Paul was their pastor for three years, uh, which means that this was the church that uh, that Paul pastored the longest. Uh, So of all the churches that Paul was the pastor of, the Ephesians got more of Paul than anybody. And what Paul is telling these Ephesians is that before they gave their lives to Jesus Christ, uh, before any of us were reconciled to God through faith in Christ, that actually our spiritual state was one of death. We couldn't do anything right. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And, and Paul uses right there a common you know, phrase that he uses about walking. You know, Paul will say things like, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to walk with the Lord. Well, before we know Christ, what Paul tells us is that we actually aren't keeping in step with the Lord. We aren't in keeping in step with Jesus Christ. Until we are reconciled to him, we are actually keeping in step with the spirit of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Uh, And all the world is keeping in step with him. I mean, and what's crazy about that is I think it's easy for you and I to see sinners, uh, people who are doing wretched things, and we can say, sure, those are bad people. Yeah, they're keeping in step with this evil spirit. I don't have any doubt that there is injustice in this world. Uh, But before we condemn others, uh, Paul does the great surprise of the gospel, which is he turns the conviction of sin, right, the sense that you and I need to be convicted of our sin to see our own unrighteousness, and Paul turns it on all of us, himself included. Uh, Notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, yeah, we're all a bunch of sinners, but in verse 3 he says, we all once lived this way, following the passions of our flesh, Uh, You know, the book of Judges will say it this way. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. If you don't think that's what we're watching on TV right now and what we hear from every political pontificator right now, uh, friends, I think you may be up for a surprise. We all do what's right in our own eyes. We all live according to the passions of our flesh. And what's crazy about that statement 
And the, the turn that you have to make in your life uh, to really grasp the gospel is Paul is putting himself in this category. And Paul is like the most righteous guy he can think of. Uh, Paul will tell us in Philippians that if there's anybody who is righteous, who followed the law, who could look down on anybody else, it was him. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he says, he was blameless. Yet he considers everything about his former life rubbish now that he has known the grace of Jesus Christ. And so the great challenge for the gospel, of course, is that it's very simply two simple things to remember. It's cheer up, you're worse than you think, but cheer up, you are more loved than you dare imagine. But until you recognize your sin before a holy and righteous God, you'll never really grasp grace. Because if you're not really that bad, why did Jesus have to die for you? Why would he have to be stripped naked and nailed to a cross in front of his mother if your sin wasn't really that bad? You see, Jesus will say some pretty shocking things. Those who think they only need a little bit of forgiveness only ever love God a little. But buddy, you forgive the sin of a prostitute who knows she is unrighteous. She who is forgiven much will love much. You see, this is the challenge of the gospel. It's in Romans chapter 2. It's in Philippians chapter 3. It's in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and it's here in Ephesians 2. Over and over again, we were, by nature, children destined for wrath. That's what Ephesians means by it. When Paul says children of wrath, what he means there is like we're on a course set away from God like all of mankind. And, you know, if anything, this past few weeks has shown us exactly how sinful humanity can be, right? Uh, the wretchedness. Uh, Paul talks about in Titus that uh, before Christ, we were hated by each other and hated one another. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, John Perkins' book, Let Justice Roll Down. Uh, you may have heard of that. I just asked you to read it. And in the story of uh, John Perkins' life, uh, he uh, is promoting uh, the civil rights of African Americans in Mississippi, and uh, one night he is taken to Brandon, Mississippi, uh, where he is beaten and tortured uh, by uh, police officers and a sheriff. And uh, anyway, as he uh, processes this in his book, uh, listen to what he says about this. And John Perkins writes, The Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, meaning that John Perkins is experiencing the power of the triune God. The Spirit of God helped me to really believe what I had so often professed, that only in the love of Christ is there any hope for me or for those I had once worked so hard for. After that, God gave me the strength and motivation to get up out of my bed and spread his love around. Oh, I know man is bad, depraved. There's something built into him that just makes him want to be superior. If the black man had the advantage, He'd be just as bad, just as bad. So I can't hate the white man. The problem is spiritual, black or white, we all need to be born again. See, what Pastor John understood was that the problem was spiritual. That until we follow Christ, we are just following along with this world, whether good or for ill. 
We're following the prince of the power of the air. But Jesus Christ promises freedom. And whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. You will be free to follow God. And free from the rulers and the principalities of this world. From going along with what the world says is right. Now, of course, I mentioned that story for John Perkins for you simply uh, to remind you, right, that we live in a broken world. But you may be thinking, yeah, I already knew that. I already gave up hope for this world. (laughs) I'm ready, you know, to move to, I don't know, Canada or wherever people move when they get really depressed. Where do people, where do people threaten to move here, you know, up in Oregon? Where do you, where do you threaten you're going to move to? Is it Vancouver? Is that, is that the promised land? Vancouver, British Columbia, Australia, move to Australia, Or Hawaii, if they'll take us, right? Well, you may have given up hope, uh, but friends, if you've given up hope, it's because you stopped at verse 3. And you live in a world where the triune God is not at work. But friends, the good news of the gospel is the triune God is at work and has been at work. Look at verse 4 and following. Paul, yes, this is the world we live in, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that the coming, in the coming ages, that is heaven, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, if you're living in just verses 1 through 3, why wouldn't you be hopeless? Why wouldn't you be discouraged? Uh, But friends, you're living in a mindset that is devoid of the work of the triune God. You see, the triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is unique. He's not just this divine ruler. He's not just a divine king whom you may respect but you can never love. Uh, You know, as Michael Reeves says in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, God is not some divine police officer whom you respect, but you can never fully embrace. The triune God is a father who loves his son, who enjoys the unity of the Spirit, who enjoys the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And that explains why God can be eternally merciful, eternally loving, eternally gracious, Because he's always been this for all of eternity. This is why Paul can claim that God is rich in mercy. And why God has great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins. You see, we don't earn God's love by being good moral people. If anything, by being good moral people, we often risk the sin of pride. And rejecting the need for Christ. Instead, the story of the gospel is not a story of our own righteousness. It's the story of a rich in mercy, loving, gracious God who redeems us despite ourselves. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves you. Even when you were dead. Even when you were guilty. He saves you by his grace. And then Paul goes on in verse 6 and he says, Your standing is a standing in heaven for all of eternity. He's raised you up 
into the heavenly places. I mean, uh, this idea is so immense. Uh, But if you don't understand that, just look at verse 7. This is a reminder that those who are reconciled to God are brought into the life of God, and the immortality of God becomes ours. The God who resurrected Jesus is going to resurrect us. The God who enjoys new creation for eternity is going to bring us into new creation to enjoy it for eternity. And God is going to spend eternity revealing to us his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. (laughs) I mean, friends, is it any wonder why Christians for thousands of years have talked about God as an overflowing fountain? a never-ending fountain of love and mercy. Friends, if you are depressed and discouraged right now, is it that you have taken your eyes off of the triune God? Nothing is too big for him. And he has seated you in the heavenly places. He has destined you to be the recipient of his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. See, this is why it's so important to know the triune God, because God at his core is not this force in the universe, this impersonal force that just makes the world go round. He's not like gravity that just sort of embodies everything. God is a person. He's at his core father. I mean, what does the Apostles' Creed teach us? Before we talk about God being the maker of heaven and earth, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. See, this is the beauty of accepting Jesus Christ, is that we're brought into relationship with our Father. And of course, Paul goes on in verse 8, and he explains more of the gospel. But I want you to focus on the hope that Paul has for this life, right? Paul explains the gospel in verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, It's a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is where Paul goes from preaching to meddling. (laughs) Anyone ever been in a sermon where he went from preaching to meddling? It's easy to explain the Bible, explain who Paul is, but baby, when you start applying this to today, now you meddling. No amens on that one. You see, what Paul says is he explains the gospel. We are reconciled to a holy God, sinners though we are, not by presenting our righteous deeds, not by having our good outweigh our bad. Right? What Paul says is that we are saved by grace, God's gift that we didn't earn. And the reason is because we could never earn the righteousness of God. I mean, if you think you can attain to God's holiness You know neither your sin nor the holiness of God. You're mistaken on both counts. You see, but the gospel is a gift of grace. It's his kindness which we didn't earn. It's the prayer of Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when people are brought into a family, when they're brought to the table of the kingdom, and they know they didn't earn their place. You know what happens to those kind of people? They're profoundly humbled for the rest of their lives. They're humbled in new ways. They despise no one. They see sinners as what they used to be, 
And so they pray for them. And yet they also are profoundly aware of their self-worth and their value because they know they've been seated in the heavenly places. They know who their father really is. It's not a result of your good works. Otherwise, you would boast and be guilty of pride. But as soon as Paul says that, notice what he says in verse 10. For those of us who know the grace of the gospel, who believe in Jesus Christ, Paul then says, yeah, but there are good works that my people are called to do in this life because of the gospel. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. He is a master craftsman and we are his creation. And God has created us in Christ Jesus for a reason. You exist for a reason. And it is not to just sort of live until you get to go to heaven. That is not why you exist. You do not exist in this life just simply to pass the days until you get into heaven. You know why you exist? Because God has created you in Christ Jesus for good works. What works are you going to do in heaven? The time will be past. You and I, we are here for a reason. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before you were ever alive, that you and I should walk, there's that word again, in them. So at the very minimum, friends, what this means is God chose before the foundation of the world to put you alive in the family that you have, in the community that you are placed, in the career, in the calling on your life for a reason. You are called for good works. But if you make your calling or your family the end of your life, uh, friends, you'll be like squeezing a bar of soap, you know, it's going to pop out of your hand. You can't make the sole existence of your life, your calling or career or family or children or grandparents or job. You'll take God's good gift and you'll ruin it. You'll squeeze the bar of soap and you'll never actually enjoy its smell because it'll slip out of your hand. So what is this good work? What are we supposed to do in this life? Well, the context of Ephesians would tell us what Paul has in mind. Let's keep going and let's see what you think Paul has in mind. In light of knowing this and knowing that we have a purpose in this life, that we have been prepared for good works, that you have been saved not by your righteous deeds, but by Christ alone. Notice where Paul continues. In verse 11, he says, therefore, <laughs> based on this gospel truth, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, that is all of you non-ethnically Jewish people, which is the vast majority of us right now listening and in the room, but not completely. Remember that you Gentiles, you non-ethnically Jewish people, which other people would call uncircumcised, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, in light of the gospel, where Paul goes next is he says, now it's important to remember 
how the gospel is not just between God and you, how the gospel is God loving you and teaching you to love others, and in so you love God back. God exists, he lives, he shows us his love, and we express his love to us by our extending his love to others. And in so doing, we love God back. See, that's the beautiful cycle of the righteous life. I mean, when someone asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What, what does he say? You shall love God and your neighbor as yourself. It's not one or the other. We receive God's love and we love him back when we love others. And remember, someone asked Jesus, well, who counts as my neighbor? What about that jerk down the street? And it tells a parable about that. And what's his answer? Who's your neighbor? Anybody. Anybody. Even an ethnically different person than you. Even a Samaritan. Even him. That's your neighbor. Of course, that's a different parable for a different Sunday. But notice what Paul is doing. He's saying, know who you are. We are sinners. For us as Gentiles, we don't come from a people that is steeped in the covenants of God. And without Christ, we really don't have any hope in this world. And if anything, I think that's what we're seeing is a world without any hope. You know, we're seeing a world broken right down the middle. Uh, we're seeing a people group stare at the wound on a soul in their country, and they don't know what's going to heal it. And they've given up hope that anything can. But of course, Jesus Christ can, and he will, and he is, because this is the work of the triune God in our world. Notice where he goes next. It's the work of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he says, for he himself, that is Christ, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. <laughs> Did you see what Paul does right there? In light of the gospel, what Paul uses the gospel to do is to address uh, the split in the church. Now, you may not know this, but uh, racism was um, at work even during this day. Uh, people were uh, deeply divided. Uh, you know, it's been said uh, in many commentaries uh, that, uh, you know, uh, Jewish people, Jewish believers didn't even want to eat with Gentiles. They wouldn't even associate with them. They wouldn't even sit down and share a meal. In fact, uh, Galatians chapter 2 is about this very subject. You see, the early church struggled with this just like many people today struggle with this. How can people of different backgrounds and ethnicities, different diets come together? Well, that's really what Ephesians is all about. And what Paul says is that you may see the world as deeply divided. You may see this wall of hostility, right? A wall dividing different groups of people. But don't you recognize that in Christ Jesus, what Jesus was doing was he was tearing down that wall. And in the place of two different groups of people, which for Paul, he would have divvied out the world, Jew and Gentile. 
He says, in Christ, he tore down that wall. And in the place of two men, he's creating one new humanity, one new people group, one new temple of the living God, which, as Revelation says, will be full of people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. This is the beauty of Pentecost, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all the people groups can come and be reconciled to God and one another. You know, I think what we're watching is a lot of different solutions are being offered right now. A lot of different hopes are being spun. But friends, as Christians, we know the only true hope for people who are destined for wrath, who are being led by the prince of the power of this world, the only real hope this world has is for sinners to be reconciled to the God who greatly loves them. And what that does is it creates a new humanity at work, a new people of God, uh, not uh, distinguished by ordinances and the commandments, but distinguished by Jesus Christ. Let's keep going, and now I want you to finish, and we'll finish with this. I want you to see the work of the triune God at work in this. Look at verse 17. And he, that is Jesus, and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Christ came and he preached the gospel to Gentiles, to Jews, to people who are religious insiders, to people who are religious outsiders, to the Pharisee and the tax collector and the prostitutes. He came and he preached peace, reconciliation to God, peace of mind, peace of eternity to all. And then verse 18, Paul gives us the work of the triune God. For through him, that is Christ, for through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Friends, do you see that the work of the triune God is to reconcile people from every nation, language, and tribe in the spirit of God so that, that we would all be reconciled to the Father who loves us? Even our salvation and even the divisions in this world, they are being addressed by no one less than the triune God. Your very salvation, your eternal destiny is a work of the triune God because you have been reconciled by Jesus' Christ's death. You are united to every other believer in his Holy Spirit and you are reconciled to God, the Father who loves you. And so Paul goes on and he tells us exactly what the gospel truth is. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, this is the church, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And again, the Trinity in Christ you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, friends, if you're watching the news and you are without hope, 
in this world. It's because you've forgotten the triune God who is at work in this world, reconciling sinners to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. It's available to all peoples. And church, what the world most needs to see is the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. We know the wall of hostility has been torn down. We know a new world is coming. We know the king has been resurrected. We know that what unites the church of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. My friends, that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel. I thank you that in Christ Jesus, you tore down the wall of hostility between all peoples. Father, more than ever, would the church arise? Lord, would we hear from people like John Perkins? Lord, would we know the power of forgiveness? Would we plead with people to be reconciled to the God who loves them? Father, even now, would you be bringing people into faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit? Lord, thank you that you are not abandoning our land, but that you are at work in our land. Lord, have mercy. Amen.